There is no substitute for the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Each weekday on Enjoying the Journey, Scott Pauley leads us in a brief study of Scripture. Today, on the Weekend Pulpit, we are happy to share a full-length Bible message given through Scott's pulpit ministry. These messages were recorded live in a local church or gospel event in recent days. It is our prayer that the message will be a help to you today. I've always loved sinners, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> oh, yes. We love picking on Michigan. I'm married to a Michigander, so I can do it, you know. It's great to see all of you tonight. And by the way, that Freedom Barbershop Quartet did pretty good tonight, didn't they? If we can get all of them matching suspenders and polka dot ties, I'll take them on the road with me full time. And uh, that was a blessing. Enjoyed it so much. What a, what a great thing to sing about Jesus. Aren't you glad to be saved tonight? Nothing like it, nothing in the world like it. And I was thinking earlier, next to, next to being saved yourself, the next greatest joy is to see somebody else get saved. And we saw some people respond to the gospel this morning, come to receive Christ. That was wonderful, wasn't it? And then, you may not know this, but there was a husband and wife here this morning that got saved after the service today. And I just give God all the glory and praise for it. I was happy to get to observe it and see it happen because there's power in the gospel. And the Lord is at work. With that in mind, I want you to open your Bible with me, if you will, please, to Acts chapter number 8. We're going to pick up with a great story of Philip as it continues in this narrative. We studied earlier today from Acts chapter number 6 and got a little glimpse of Philip the Christian. Tonight, we get a glimpse not just of who he is as an individual, but how the Lord is using him. Let's read a little again in Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, where the Bible says, And Saul was consenting. Unto his death, you've got to back up to see whose death it is. This is Stephen, uh, who is being stoned, the first martyr of the Christian church. It's an amazing story. Uh, Saul, of course, is the man that we're going to know more famously as the Apostle Paul. The Lord's going to so radically change his life that Saul decides to change his name. That's pretty good, isn't it? And uh, to identify himself as a totally different man, a changed man. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. But at this juncture, Saul is still Saul. And he's standing there consenting to the death of this Christian man. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Now let me pause just for a moment, show you something beautiful. Uh, these persecutors thought they were doing damage to the cause of Christ. Isn't it just like the Lord to take the thing that is against the church and make it the very means by which the gospel would be spread? I love, there's a little divine humor in this passage. There really is. Because it looks like the devil is scattering the church. The devil's not scattering the church. The Lord's just scattering the seed. That's what he's doing. In fact, if you look at the end of verse number 1, it says they're going to go through the regions of, and notice carefully the order, Judea and Samaria. Does that sound strangely familiar at all? Do you remember in the Great Commission? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, 
to the uttermost part of the world. I just want to pause and say, praise God, the Lord even used the persecution to accomplish the Great Commission. In fact, if you study the history of God's people, you're going to find out that the times of greatest persecution historically have been the seasons of greatest fruitfulness. And that's why when you talk about what's going on in the world right now and all the animosity against the church and all the hatred and vitriol against the people of God, and somebody says, oh, this is bad, preacher, this is bad. No, this may be the very means of the Lord accomplishing in the last days exactly what he wants to accomplish. Rejoice because Christ is still building his church. Verse 2, and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad. Would you mark that word again? In verse 1, scattered. In verse 4, scattered. Oh, I love this thought. When sin scatters, it's, it's devastation, it's ruin. But when God scatters, it's for a purpose. It brings fruitfulness. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Isn't that good? Then Philip. Would you mark, please, in verse 5, the name of our friend, our dear friend Philip? You say, friend? Oh, yes, he's a friend. He's a friend and he's a brother, and I'm going to spend eternity with him. I'm looking forward to it. And here he is, our fellow laborer in the gospel. It was striking to me, just looking at this passage, where he shows up. I'm not talking about geographically. I'm talking about where in Scripture. The famous chapter is the next chapter. Can we all agree with that? Turn one page over in your Bible and look at Acts chapter 9. What happens in Acts 9? Saul has a head-on collision with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And Saul, I think, would become the strongest preacher of the gospel in the New Testament age. And yet, please don't miss this. Before there was a Paul, there was a Philip. You may never be Paul. But you could be Philip. And then, this is very interesting, not only does he come before Paul, he comes after Stephen. In fact, the Bible just reported to us that Stephen's had his memorial service. They carried his body to its final resting place. Excuse me, not final resting place, temporary resting place. That body's coming out of the grave someday. But they made great lamentation over him, and somebody must have said, Oh, Stephen's dead, Stephen's dead, and his voice has been silenced. What are we going to do? God says, i got another voice. I love this. It doesn't matter who the voice is as long as that voice is preaching the Word of God. I don't think Philip was Stephen. He wasn't the most prominent of the, of the deacons in Acts chapter number 6. Uh, Stephen really gets a whole lot more attention than Philip does. And yet, watch this, please. Though Philip may not have been Stephen, he could still be God's messenger, and he could be mightily used of God. And at just the right time and in just the right place, Philip stands up and speaks up and is used by God to point people to Jesus. Read with me, would you please, beginning in verse number 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. I love the simplicity of that. What did he preach? He just preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame were healed. And I love verse 8. Read it with me, church. And there was great joy in that city. Would you like to see some joy in this city? Let me tell you how not to have the joy. You don't have the joy by trying to have the joy. <laughs> in fact, the most miserable human beings I've ever met are people trying to be happy. Do you know that joy is not the goal, it's the byproduct? Jesus is the goal. And when Jesus is lifted up, Jesus brings his own joy with him. 
You know why there was joy in that city? Not because Philip was in that city. There was joy in that city because Jesus showed up in that city. Oh, friend, every one of us, we're just to be forerunners to the Messiah. That's what every one of us are supposed to be. And that's what Philip did. There's a mighty revival in Samaria, which is an interesting thought. We'll come back to Samaria in just a moment. But turn over in the same chapter and come down, please, to verse number 26. Well, the Bible says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Hold up. Time out just a second. How many of you think it's strange that revival breaks out and God says, Leave? I mean, think about it. The whole city's on fire for God, and people are getting saved, and demon-possessed people are being delivered, and the Lord is on the move, and there's great joy in that city, and the Lord sends a messenger to the messenger and says, you got another appointment. Picks him up and drops him off in the middle of the desert. Somebody said, I don't like that at all. Your pastor and I were just out in the desert, weren't we? The desert of California. And I, I thought, now, you know, every place has its own rugged, unique beauty. Uh, but I thought, my lands, where are the trees and the green things? Didn't you think the same thing? And just a barren wasteland. Somebody says, that's a nice tumbleweed as it goes by, you know. The desert? Let me just tell you something. God does some big things in the desert. Read your Bible, all the desert places where the Lord shows up. Did you know? Did you know that the Lord even knows how to make things grow and be fruitful in the desert? And sure enough, look in the desert. Verse 27, he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot. I love this. Read Isaiah the prophet. I mean, you got a fellow sitting in his chariot in the middle of nowhere reading the prophet Isaiah. You know God's up to something. Don't you know God's up to something? I love how the Lord connects the dots. I wonder who the Lord wants to connect us with. It's not my message tonight, but I've been meditating on this so much this week. Look at verse number 27. Look at it carefully. The Bible says that this was a man of Ethiopia. Now that's, that's the northern part of Africa. Do you see it's Judea, it's Samaria, but everybody remember the rest of it? To the uttermost part of the earth. Do you understand this is the first recorded African convert we have, that the continent of Africa is getting ready to be open to the gospel through one lone fellow sitting in a chariot out in the middle of nowhere? Isn't that just like the Lord to do such a thing? And look what a man he is. He's a, he's a powerful man. He's a eunuch of great authority. And yet at this juncture, watch please, he's not given the orders. He's looking for direction. Do you understand we're living in a world of people looking for directions right now? And the Bible says that he was under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. That's quite a queen, but he needed to know the king. That's what he needed to know. Who had the charge of all her treasure. I never thought about this, Pastor, until just yesterday. Do you understand that this man was the treasurer of Ethiopia? Let that sink in just a minute. This is the man who held the checkbook for the queen of Ethiopia. This was a man of means. This was a man of resources. And you know what is strangely missing from the entire conversation and the rest of the chapter? There's not a single word about money in their conversation. That's fascinating to me. All this nonsense I hear today of, excuse me, people sowing a seed and, and buying the favor of God and slot machine religion, I want you to know that's the furthest thing from New Testament Christianity you've ever seen in your life. You can't buy the gospel, you can only believe the gospel. 
Didn't matter how much money this man had. Didn't matter who this man was. He needed one thing. He needed the same thing everybody needs. He needs Jesus. And so what does Philip do? He just starts right where the man is. That's a pretty good idea, isn't it? Verse 29, then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? Could I just give you a little practical suggestion? When you're trying to witness to people, did you know it's always good to start with a question? What we typically do, we want to start with some declarative statement. You know you're lost, don't you? No, that's not good. No, you need an entry point, you see. So, so don't just stand up and, and launch into something. Uh, look, questions probe a little bit. They, they open the door. So he begins with a question, and I love the answer this man gives. Verse 31, he said, how can I accept some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And of course, as old Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story is that Philip had the glorious privilege of leading this man to Jesus. And full disclosure, I'm coming back here tomorrow night. So if you want to go ahead and just take your little Bible ribbon and mark your place in Acts chapter number 8, then you'll be ready already for tomorrow night. There's no way we can cover all this tonight. But tonight I want to bring you to a very simple thought and the application of it. I want you to take your pen tonight and mark a phrase in verse 31. It is this phrase, some man should guide me. Would you mark that in your Bible? Some man should guide me. And for a few moments, I want to speak to you on this subject, becoming a gospel guide. Becoming a gospel guide. And we say things like this, you ought to be a witness for Jesus. I really like the word witness. Do you like the word witness? You ought to. It's a Bible word. It's not our word. It's God's word. And we talk sometimes about people being a soul winner. That comes from the book of Proverbs. He that winneth souls is wise. We talk about people testifying. I like that word because it's a very personal word. We talk about preaching the gospel, and I think that's very good. We talk about being an evangelist or doing the work of the evangelist to, to get the word, the message of the evangel, the good news of Jesus. I like all of those terms, but I love this word. It's captured my attention. Circle it in verse 31, guide. Did you know it's the exact same word that's used in John chapter 16 and verse number 13 for the work of the Holy Spirit? Jesus said, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he shall, what, guide you into all truth. You know what I believe? I believe when a person really gets filled with the Holy Spirit like this man was, that person will end up doing what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He'll end up talking about what the Holy Spirit wants to talk about. And what does the Holy Spirit want to talk about? He wants to talk about Jesus. And so what does this spirit-filled man want to talk about? Look, he just opened his mouth. It doesn't matter who he's talking to. Guess what he's going to talk about? He's going to talk about Jesus. He can stand up in the early part of the chapter in a citywide gospel campaign in Samaria, and guess what he's going to preach about? He's going to preach about Jesus Christ. You can pick him up from that and drop him off at the end of the chapter right out in the middle of the desert to one fellow sitting in his chariot reading Isaiah the prophet. And guess what he's going to talk about? He's going to talk about Jesus. May I say to you, the answer for cities and nations and the answer for individuals and homes is exactly the same. Everybody needs to know who Jesus is. And how can they except some men guide them? You know really what we all are? We're all just signposts along the path of life. That's what we are. You remember Solomon? 
He stands along the path of life. You know what he says? Don't go down that road. I've already been down that road. The bridge is out. He waves his arms violently and says, no, 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 don't try that. All is vanity and vexation of spirit. No, no, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. In reality, that's what every one of us is supposed to do. Every one of us are to be gospel guides pointing people to Jesus Christ. In the margin of your Bible, would you write something next to the little word guide? The word here is a very technical word for teaching. Uh, Literally, the idea of someone who is an interpreter. I've traveled abroad some and even preached abroad some, and I, I found something out in a hurry. I need somebody to interpret. I preached in India a few years ago before the pandemic, and we had a gospel crusade, a big soccer complex in, in a certain part of India. It was an amazing thing. I'd never seen anything like it before. And I was preaching through one interpreter. He was standing on the platform with me. What I didn't realize when we first started is all around that massive complex, there were eight, nine, ten different other groups of people, and they all had their interpreters too. So I'm preaching the gospel. He's translating into the main language of the people, but then all these people from the villages had come in who didn't even know that language, and so it was being translated into their language. And I just rejoiced because I thought of what Revelation said. Someday around the throne, people from every kindred, tongue, and nation are going to be gathered there. Don't you love the fact that God himself can interpret the gospel to all people in any place? And you know what it takes? Just somebody open their mouth and guide them to God. And the fascinating thing about this very technical word for teaching and interpreting is it is a word of authority. Do you know where authority comes from? Some people think that the authority is in the preacher's voice. That's wrong. I've heard people even say, the preacher stands up and he speaks a certain way and that's the voice of authority. Nonsense. That's nonsense. You understand a person can say something loud and say nothing? They can scream and holler and be full of, excuse me, hot air. And likewise, someone like the Lord Jesus could speak in a meek and gentle way, barely even lifting up his voice, the Bible says, in one passage, and yet his words go to the heart that they say, we never heard anything like this before. Never man spake like this man. He doesn't speak like the scribes. He speaks as one that has... Authority. You ever wondered what the authority is? I'll tell you what it is. See, the scribes only spoke out of tradition, what they had heard, what their daddies and granddaddies had told them. They spoke out of their heads. But when Jesus stepped out of the portal of glory, out of eternity into time, he came straight from the throne room of of the heavenly Father, and he spoke as an eyewitness. He spoke with the authority of one who had the experience because he had been there. And I'm going to tell you what this world needs right now. It doesn't need another sermon. It doesn't need another book. It doesn't need another program. It doesn't need another church building. It needs some of God's children who know God to get so consumed with God that they speak out of their own experience and they point people to Jesus Christ. And I wonder, are you willing to become a gospel guide? When you study this whole chapter, maybe you read the chapter today. I hope you did. When you study this whole chapter, it's fascinating to me. Philip did not get overwhelmed with the crowds in Samaria. He wasn't overwhelmed with that. He did not get blown away when Simon stood up full of the devil and brought opposition. He did not, wait for it, get offended when Peter and John showed up from Jerusalem to check out what was going on. 
He did not get blown away when the angel showed up and said, the Lord's finished with you here. It's time for you to go to the desert. He did not get overwhelmed when he's sitting in the chariot next to a great man from Ethiopia who has questions. Do you know why? Because this man was so fully given to Jesus Christ and the gospel. He was not resting in his own ability. He was resting in the power of the message that he was giving. And here is a man following the promptings of the Holy Spirit, depending on the sufficiency of the Word of God and pointing people to one person, and that is Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that is something every one of us can do. So what do we learn about becoming a gospel guide? Well, let's just take Philip's example, shall we? Write them down, would you please? And I want you to make a few notes tonight. A short pencil is better than a long memory, all right? So try to write it down so that you can meditate on it when the service is done, and God willing, so you can apply it throughout the week. Number one. If you're going to become a gospel guide, first of all, you have to start looking for people along the way. That's pretty basic, isn't it? Just look for people. Open your eyes. I hate to say this, but we've got to get out of ourselves, our busy schedule, and our comfort zone. Pardon me. We've got to get our head up out of our cell phones. That's what we've got to do. I travel for a living. And, you know, honestly, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for every tool that we have. But I go through airports, and people don't even make eye contact anymore. Everybody's looking at something, you see. Everybody's in a rush to get somewhere. You know what God's people have to do? Lift up your head. Look on the field. They're white already to harvest. You've got to begin to give some attention to those that are around you. Look for people along the way. Philip was such a man. He saw the great needs in Samaria. (laughs) Can I just say this? Wherever God places you, there's a need. Wherever God places you. I don't care where it is. Samaria was that place, remember, that the Jews despised and they didn't want to go to. And yet, did you ever think about all the great things that happened in the Bible in Samaria? There was another man that went to Samaria. Anybody remember who that was? Jesus must needs go through Samaria. Hey, Philip, you're just following Jesus' footsteps. That's all you're doing. You you reckon when Philip showed up in Samaria, he thought about Jesus at that well? You think maybe Philip wondered about that woman and the impact that had happened there? And what God had set in motion. Do you, do you think the words of the Great Commission, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world were ringing in the heart of this man? I say to you, wherever you go and whoever God allows to cross your path, see in them a divine appointment for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why did that person pull up next to you at the gas pump? Why did you get that waitress at the restaurant? Why? Why did those people move in next door to you? Why did you get that promotion at work? Someone said, I worked hard. Who gave you the job? You think maybe God puts you in a place because there's somebody there that needs light? So I didn't like how to transfer schools. Why do you think God allowed you to be on that school campus? Do you understand? Look at Philip. He's he's in Samaria, in the city, in a moment of time, and then he's in the desert in the middle of nowhere. But everywhere he went, God had somebody for him. And I shudder to think how many divine appointments I have missed. Now let's just use a little human reasoning a minute. That's dangerous, isn't it? Logic says if you've got a big revival going on, you don't give up on it. A whole city getting right with God sounds to me like the kind of place you want to pitch your tent for a while and say, let's just hang out and see what the Lord will do. And yet, aren't you glad that Philip 
obeyed the leadership of the Lord to that one man out in the desert. Did it ever dawn on you, did it ever dawn on you that it was that seemingly insignificant act of obedience that opened the gospel to an entire continent of people? In fact, let me show you something. Everybody, hold your place here. Go back to the Psalms with me for just a minute. Did you ever connect this? Look at Psalm 68. Don't you know everything God foretells, he always fulfills? Let's compare Scripture with Scripture for just a minute. I love this. Look at Psalm 68, because the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. The the Jehovah that promised it is, is the Jesus who came to fulfill it. Look at the heart of God. Psalm 68 in verse number 31. Princes shall come out of Egypt. And look at the last part, Psalm 68, 31. Ethiopia shall soon stretch out her hands unto God. <laughs> You know what I see in my mind? I'm using sanctified imagination. At least I hope it's sanctified. You know what I'm seeing right now? I'm seeing that Ethiopian eunuch. You know what he's doing sitting in that chair? He's reaching out to God. He's looking for something. Do you realize where he's been? He just come from Jerusalem. He just come from the most religious city on the face of the planet. He just come from the worship time, the great feast days, the festival. And he found nothing that met the deep needs of his heart there. Ponder that. Now, maybe he got a copy of the scriptures there, and the seed was planted, but he had no understanding because he needed somebody to guide him. I'll tell you, this world has had enough of empty religion. They don't need more religion. They need somebody that knows Jesus to point them to God. And it's high time God's people wake up. We're sleeping through the harvest. We're going to be ashamed when the trumpet sounds and, and it's over and the opportunity has ended. We must look for people who need direction. Here's a second principle. Would you write it down? Use the road map. You want to be a gospel guide? Number one, look for people. And by the way, aren't you glad there's no prejudice in the gospel? <laughs> I like that. I mean, right here in this one passage, you've got a Jewish man, you've got a Samaritan city, and you've got an, you got an African man. That's a pretty diverse chapter. Would you agree with me? I like what the old preacher said. He said, the ground's level at the foot of the cross. That's, a lot. That's good, isn't it? We are all equally sinners. Jesus died for every man. God loves all people, and everybody gets saved the same way. Colossians says this, that in Christ, it is neither Jew nor Greek, bond or free, barbarian or Scythian, male or female. We're all one in Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. Look for people. Then once you found them, you say, what am I going to do now? That's real simple. It's real simple. God wrote a book. He actually, are you ready for this? He wrote it down in black and white for us. Somebody said, I don't know what to say. Well, that's a good thing. There's a whole book on it. It's not your speech. It's not your power of persuasion. It's not your rhetoric. No, no, no. It's the Word of God. There is power in the Word of God. Let me speak as a preacher for a moment. The longer I'm in the ministry, the less confidence I have in my sermons. Now, I'm just telling you. As a young preacher, I thought, I got this sermon. I'm ready. I got a good outline. I'm ready. Let me use a West Virginia theological term for that. Hogwash. It's pitiful. It's pitiful. There's no power in the words of men. You know what I've learned? I can stumble and bumble my way through a message, but the Word of God is powerful. Look, I believe in the clarity and the sufficiency of all Scripture. It is still light on the path and bread for the soul and a sword that discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart and a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. There is no power like the power of the Word of God. Give them the Bible. If you don't know what to say, give them the Scriptures. 
and God will begin to work deeply in them. Let me show you what I mean. This is not my example. This is Philip's example. Everybody look back, please, to verse number 4. They that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the what? The Word. Mark that. They preached the Word. Now come over to the second half of this little occasion that we're reading about with the man of Ethiopia. Look at verse number 28. He's sitting in his chair reading Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah. And look at verse number 30. Philip ran thither to him, heard him read the prophet Isaiah, said, Understandest thou what thou readest? He said, How can I accept some man should guide me? He desired Philip. He would come up and sit with him. And look at verse 32. The place of the scripture which you read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, like a lamb done before his shearer, so opening not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Do you know what he was reading? Praise God for this. He was reading Isaiah 53. The man could not have been reading a better portion of Scripture to know who Messiah is. And you know what Philip does? Everybody look at verse number 34. Excuse me, verse number 35. Philip opened his mouth, mark this phrase in your Bible, and began at the same Scripture. May I say to you, this is God's manual. It's God's guidebook. You better be careful who you get your directions from. How many of you know it's dangerous to ask directions from a lost man? I mean, if a fellow can't find his own way, don't let him tell you which way to go. I live and die by GPS. You know, I travel all the time. Live and die by GPS. But I have learned even the GPS can be wrong. How many of you been there? Yes? I mean, I've sat in the middle of a, a cow pasture and had it say, you have now arrived at the coffee shop. And I thought, somebody's laughing at me somewhere right now. I've driven round and round in circles. I've taken those roundabout way and thought, this can't be the best way. There's no way I had to drive through this trailer park to get where I'm going. There's no way. You better be careful you get your directions from, but here's what I know for sure. I know for sure that the direction found in the Word of God is always right. Acquaint yourself with the Word and use the Word of God. Look, you can't debate men, outwit men, convince men, but I got good news for you. That's not what God called you to do. He called you to give them His Word. You want to be a gospel guide? Number one, look for people along the way that need direction. Number two, use the road map. Number three, point wandering souls to the way of life. When I say the way, capitalize way. Would you please capitalize way? Because I'm not talking about a thing or a place. I'm talking about a person. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way. The truth of the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus said in John chapter 10, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. There's only one way of salvation, and his name is Jesus Christ. Please don't miss this. Look at Philip again. Verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached. Mark this in your Bible. He preached Christ unto them. This is a man with one sermon. That's what he's got, one sermon. Turn the page. Look, please, at verse number 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him what? Jesus. Sounds like it's just one thing he really wants to talk about. You know why that is? Because there's power in the name of Jesus. There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Hold on. Stop talking to people about your politics. Stop talking to people about issues. Stop trying to straighten out every ill in society. Stop trying to fix everybody around you and start talking to people about Jesus. Listen to me. When they meet Jesus, Jesus will do the changing you can't do. I'll tell you something else. We need to stop just talking to people about our churches. 
You know what we've done? We've made inviting people to church a substitute for talking to people about Jesus. The Lord never told us to go out in the highways and hedges and talk to people about how nice our church is. He told us to get out where the lost people are and talk to them about Jesus Christ. And let's just be blunt. Most people, the only time they ever hear the name Jesus Christ is as a curse word, a byword, a swear word. Don't you think they ought to hear somebody that knows Jesus and loves Jesus talk about Jesus? How many of you know somebody told you about Jesus? Would you raise your hand? How many of you can think of the person? Do you know their name, their face? How many of you know the name or face? I was preaching a gospel crusade a few months ago, Pastor, the last night of the meeting. The meeting was done. I was on the platform getting ready to slip off, and I looked down at the crowd. People were moving around, leaving the arena where we were, and there was a little elderly woman making her way down the middle aisle. I could see her, and she was dodging traffic and coming through, coming through. And I looked at her for a minute, and then I recognized her. It was the woman that led me to Jesus 41 years ago. And I said to her, standing in the front that night, thank you for telling me about Jesus. You don't know that woman, but you know what she did? She guided me to God. And what I'm giving my life to now was set in motion because that woman obeyed the Lord and simply told me about Jesus. Look, you don't have to tell what you don't know. Just tell who you do know. If you know you're saved, just tell them how you got saved. Tell them what Jesus means to you. Tell them the difference he's made in your life. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to win the debate. You don't have to know book, chapter, and verse for everything. Here's what you got to know. you got to know Jesus and tell them about Jesus. Point them to Jesus Christ who is the only way. Number four, write this one down, would you please? You look for lost people. You use the road map. You point them to the way. Number four, don't just tell them, show them. That's very important. Would you back up, please, what the Bible says in verse 6? The people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake. And don't miss this. He did speak, but it was working, too, because the Bible says hearing and what? Seeing. Would you underline that expression? Hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. I've written in the margin of my Bible, speak and show. <laughs> As kids, we used to play show and tell. There ought to be both. It was a demonstration of power. And I'm not suggesting you go out and do miracles. I'm suggesting that your life should reflect the miracle-working power of God and the transformation in your own life. Part of our problem is we got a whole bunch of people using Jesus' name and they don't reflect Jesus' character. And Philip didn't just use his name, pass out a track, and say we're having a meeting in town. This was a man who lived filled with God so much that when people saw this man, they were attracted to the Christ in him. I'll tell you what we need. We need a revival of real Christianity. I'm not talking about the dress-up kind that goes to church on Sunday. I'm talking about the kind that in the, in the nitty-gritty of life and the day-to-day -day of life demonstrates the nature of Jesus Christ and the beauty of the gospel. Is there anything in you, anything in you at all that people would say, I want to know their Christ? We had a little rule at the college I worked at for years. We had lots of visitors, hundreds, thousands, and thousands of visitors come through. And we made a little rule with our staff. You know what the rule was? When visitors came in the door, they never knew where to go. When they came in the door, you were never allowed to tell them where something was. You had to walk them there. That was just our rule. People came in the door. This was a no-no. You weren't allowed to say, oh, just go down this hall and turn left down the next corridor. You'll find that office. No, no, you're not allowed to do that. You say, oh, we're so glad you're here. Come with me. I'll show you the way. 
and we walked them there. You know what we need? We need Christian people to stop talking just about spiritual things and about church and about religion and take some sinners and say to them individually, let me show you the way. Let me, let me show you what Jesus has done in my life. Let me point you to Christ. Don't just tell them, show them. One more and I'll be done. Number five, keep on going. <laughs> Don't stop. It's one thing to start. How many of us have started and then stopped? Now you got to keep going and keep guiding. I'll prove it to you. Everybody look at verse number four. They that were scattered abroad went. Does your Bible say everywhere? That sounds like a lot of places, doesn't it? They went everywhere preaching the word. Somebody said, well, that's good. They're going everywhere preaching the word. I'm going to show you the best part. Turn one page, come to the last verse of the chapter. <laughs> I was reading this. You know, you got to read the whole story. And you read about God using Philip in Samaria, and you read about God using Philip in the desert. That's all good. But look at verse number 40. Isn't this beautiful? But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in, look at this word, all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Circle the little word all in your Bible. That's one of God's favorite words. Did you know that? Somebody said all means all, and that's all all means. You know what it means about Philip? It means that everywhere he went, he just kept talking about Jesus. Watch this. The ones we know about and the ones we don't. Let that sink in just a minute. You know about Samaria. It's in the Bible. You know about the Ethiopian eunuch. It's in the Bible. You ever think about all the people you're going to meet in heaven that Philip pointed to Jesus that is not recorded for us in Scripture? Look, please. If you only witness when somebody's looking over your shoulder, giving accolades or writing it down, you're not going to witness very long. But look, if you're not doing it for them, if you're doing it for him, then you're going to keep on going and keep on guiding until you see Jesus face to face. What is your life's work? You ask people, tell me about yourself. Almost immediately people go to their occupation. I'm a lawyer. I'm a doctor. I'm a military. I'm a housewife. I'm, you fill in the blank. You ask me what I do, I'd say to you, I'm a, I'm a preacher. I'm an evangelist. We, we go to our work. Don't we go to our work? And yet I want to say to you, really what every Christian's work is supposed to be is this. We're all to be guiding people to God. I asked you a minute ago, could you think of the person who guided you to God? Let me ask a more probing question. Don't answer, just ponder it for a moment. Would anybody have thought of you tonight? Is there anybody on earth that would say, that man led me to Jesus? That woman, she prayed me to God. That family, they just got after me. They wouldn't leave me alone. They brought me to Christ. Those people demonstrated the love of Jesus to me. And it changed my life. When we get to heaven... And we have the greatest meeting yet around the throne. Isn't that going to be a great meeting? We could have it this week. You do know that, right? Like we may not have Monday night, Tuesday night. And if we don't, if Jesus comes, we're going to have a much better meeting in a different location, let me tell you. But do you understand when we all gather around the throne, what's going to matter then? Is that somebody would say, I'm here because of the grace of God and some man that guided me to him. Must I go and empty-handed? Must I meet my Savior so? Not one soul with which to greet him? Must I empty-handed go? Lord, lay some soul upon my heart and love that soul through me and help me humbly do my part to win some soul for thee, some soul for thee, some soul for thee. This is my earnest plea. Look, you glad you're going to heaven? Yes or no? You glad you're going to heaven? Amen. Who are you taking with you? Who? We say we want everybody to be saved. Well, then why aren't we talking to everybody? 
We say we believe God loves all people and wants all men to come to repentance, not willing that any should perish. We believe that. We say amen to that in church. But why don't we get out where the people are and run to them and say, by the grace of God, I want to point you to Jesus. I want you to know my Savior. Read the classic John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. And in it, there's a man named Evangelist. Did you know that? He's the one who led Christian to Christ. Christian's the one, he's kind of the the star of the story, if you will, making his journey to the celestial city and all the twists and turns of life. It's an amazing story. It's a classic. You ought to read it. But if you back all the way up to the beginning, there was an evangelist. There was a Philip. There was a witness. There was a gospel guide. And in Bunyan's story, do you know what he does? He takes out a book. (laughs) I love it. He takes out a book. And in the book, he shows this man whose name now is Christian the way to the celestial city. And then he says to him, yonder, do you see the light? Yes. Yes, he said, I see the light. He said, follow the light until you get to the wicked gate. And when you get to the wicked gate, just walk through that gate and you'll be on your way. You know what we need? We need a whole church full of evangelists. Look, I'm not talking about itinerant preachers who travel around ministering in different churches. I'm talking about people right where they are in their Samaria or out in their desert who take the book and point people to the light and show them the gate to the celestial city and say, this is the way, walk ye in it. And I wonder if you're willing to become a gospel guide. Will you bow your head and close your eyes with me for just a moment? Oh, the Word of God has so much to say to us. Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Speak to me, Lord. How many of you know you're saved? I don't mean you're a church member. I don't mean you're a good person. How many of you really know you've been saved and you're on your way to heaven? You say, preacher, I know that, no doubt about it. Would you lift a holy hand to God right now? Hold it up big and high. You say, I know it. I know I'm saved. Are you glad you're saved? Praise His holy name. You may lower your hands for a moment. I must ask this question. I'd be remiss if I did not. Is there someone here tonight that would say, Preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved, but I'm sure I don't want to be lost. I need God myself. Look, I can't point somebody else to Jesus till I know Jesus. I need to settle the matter of my own soul's salvation. God's convicting me. Pray for me. I won't embarrass you. You say, pray for me. I'm not certain I'm saved, but I want to be. I'd like you to slip your hand up in the air with mine, would you please? Long enough for me to see it and acknowledge it. Then you can take it right back down. I'm looking very carefully. Pray for me, preacher. I'm not certain about my relationship with God, but I want to be saved. I don't see a hand, but I want to say this. If there's somebody here, someone listening or watching tonight, and you're not certain of your salvation, look, don't put it off. Run to Jesus. How do you do that? Call on him now and say, Lord, save me. God will answer that prayer. Drive a stake a mile deep in the ground about your soul's salvation. I want to ask a couple of questions of God's people tonight, and here's the first. How many Christians in the room would say, Preacher, I'm saved, and I'm grateful I'm saved, but the truth is I'm not really living like I ought to live, so I can witness. See, you can't, you can't open your mouth and be a powerful testimony for Jesus when your life doesn't match it. And you say, I'm a Christian, but there's some things I need to get right with God, Preacher. That's me. Pray for me. Would you raise your hand with mine right now? You say, God's convicted me. God bless you. I see you. Many of you. God bless you. Would you tell the Lord that right now? I mean right now. Don't waste a second. Let's not even waste a second. Just right now, come clean with God and ask God to make you clean. Lord, that's me. Forgive me and cleanse me. I want to be right. I want to be right. Recommit yourself to Jesus Christ right now. 
That's not a, that's not a public thing first. That's between you and the Lord. Lord, let me live so I can speak. Let's go a little further, a little deeper. How many Christians here tonight would say, Preacher, I'm saved. As far as I know, I'm right with the Lord. I'm trying to live the Christian life. But I'm convicted tonight that I do not do enough gospel guiding. I, I, I've not given myself like Philip did just all of my life, everywhere I go, to people I meet, trying to point them to Jesus. I'm convicted of that. He, he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it is sin. Let's call it what it is. It's not just a little failure or a little weakness. No, it's sin. We've failed. We've left something undone that we ought to do as God's witnesses. And you say, the Lord's convicting me of that. Preacher, pray for me. I want you to raise your hand with mine right now. Would you please? Yes. That's a lot of us. Tell him right now. Talk to God. God's listening right now. Lord, forgive me of that. Do you remember when you used to witness? Remember when you used to weep for souls and pray? Want all your family saved? You remember? Oh, Lord, help us. Remember when you first got saved and wanted to get all your friends to know Christ? What happened to that passion? Dear Lord God, light that fire in us again. Spirit of God, put Jesus' heart in us. Put Jesus' heart in me. Help me. Help me. Mm. How many of you got somebody on your mind tonight? Some, somebody on your mind, their face, their name. They're lost. They need Jesus. They're, they're going to perish for eternity if they don't trust Christ and you're burdened for them and God's brought them to your attention again tonight. How many of you got somebody like that? Would you raise your hand right now? I have a man like that. I really do right now, Mr. Hicks. I'm praying for him. He's my neighbor. He needs Jesus. I've been talking to him. The Lord's after him. Help me pray for him. I'll help you pray for yours. Lord, save them. Call their name to God in prayer right now. That person, call their name. Lord, save them. You believe we could be here praying and God could be answering that prayer where they are? I believe that. Ask God to use you. It's hypocrisy to pray and not be willing to obey. Lord, use me to speak to him. Use me to show the love of God to her. Use me to minister to that family. If you don't have somebody, ask God to give you somebody. <laughs> I promise you God will answer that prayer. Lord, give me somebody this week. Put somebody in my path this week. Oh, Spirit of God, seal this truth in our hearts tonight. Right now, Lord, hammer it deep into our souls. Chisel it on our consciences. Awaken us to eternity. Let us see through heaven's lens and the heart of Christ this week. Help us not get annoyed at sinners and aggravated at people that don't know God. Help us to break for them and weep for them and pursue them for Jesus. Lord, make us gospel guides. Would you lift your head and look at me, please? I didn't say amen on purpose. Maybe the strangest invitation, but that's all right. This is what we're going to do tonight. I'm not going to ask you to get up and come forward. And I'm going to be right here. If somebody needs spiritual help, counsel, prayer, I'll be right here. You just, when people start moving in a minute, you come find me. How many of you know you're saved? Best I could tell tonight, that was 
Everybody in the room. So let's do something. Let's practice. You'll never do it out there if you won't do it in here. Never. Let's practice. Here's what I'm going to do. In a moment, I'm going to ask every Christian man in this place to find another Christian man. I'm going to ask every Christian woman to find another Christian woman. You young people the same. The little children, I think, for the most part, are out. If you need to keep kids with you, you can. But these, some of these young people know the Lord. They can do the same thing. Find another young person. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about one thing, the gospel. I want you to do something. I want you to tell that person in a moment how you got saved and what Jesus means to you. That ought to be simple enough. Let the redeemed of the Lord, what? That's in the Bible still, isn't it? So let's say so. You don't have to give some long speech. You don't have to preach a sermon. And by the way, if your partner starts at their birth and comes forward, we're going to be here a while. So it's going to have to be the short version tonight, all right? Tell them how you got saved and what does Jesus mean to you. A good salvation testimony is really not about you. It's all about Jesus. Talk about Jesus. Talk about Jesus like the person you're talking to may not know Christ. Weave the gospel into it. You may use a verse and say, this is the verse God used to speak to me. This is, this is the truth that woke me up to heaven and hell and my need of salvation and whatever. But I want you to share your gospel testimony with somebody. See, the easiest way to start to witness is just tell your story. So I'm trying to prime the pump here a little bit. And I want one of you to go first, and then the other one goes. So when you're, when you're listening, be nice to the person that's talking because it's going to be your turn in a minute. Uh, don't, don't raise your hand and say, I'm from a false religion and I have a few questions. Don't do that to them tonight, all right? Just, just listen, smile, nod your head, and we'll have a good time with it. But I want the two of you in a moment to share a gospel testimony with each other. Then I want you to do one other thing. I want you to share with that person you're with, somebody you're praying for to be saved. If this Bible message has been used of God in your life, or we can pray for you in some definite way, please contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. We hope you will share the message with others who may also be encouraged by it. For additional full-length Bible messages, please visit Dr. Scott Pauley's YouTube channel. Tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and we want to encourage you to be faithful to attend a Bible preaching church in your area this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Weekend Pulpit. And don't miss Enjoying the Journey daily devotional podcast each Monday through Friday.